Welcome to West of North London, where you can never take a Champions League opponent lightly. I'm Caleb. And I'm Tim. I... I'm I'm <laughs> I feel like it hasn't uh really set in that we uh lost that game. Like it's just it just kinda I, I feel like it's on to the next because Man City's got me I, I kind of like just I was just like, okay, I'm just gonna think about Man City now. Yeah, I know th- this week uh kind of came fast and furious, <laughs> you know, with the Bournemouth game and then straight into Champions League and you know, that game happened. And then, yeah, I uh, left and pretended it didn't happen <laughs> from where I was watching it. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, we'll go into more detail about it, but yeah, it's uh, the games are coming fast and furious, and it's it's on to the next. <laughs> yeah, and especially coming off the uh, the Bournemouth game, um, I felt like it was just like, well, that that's odd. How did that happen? <laughs> How do we go from that to that? I mean, I blame myself for uh, taking it too lightly in our uh, podcast the other day. Yeah. And uh, I have regrets. Yeah. Yeah. I have regrets. I, I feel like we should, or I should take things more seriously. Every opponent that's in Champions League is there for a reason. So, yeah. It's, it's a good wake up call, I think, for the team in general. Like, I hope that this is a turning point that they can kind of start getting things together. And it's going to be tough this weekend, though. It's 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 like yeah. Um, you can only do so much with what you you have available to you. We'll talk about that uh, in a bit, but um, yeah, I'm I I feel weird about this week. It's kind of it's it's been a roller coaster, and we'll see how it ends. Yeah, I mean, I literally I uh, went to uh, watch the replay of the uh, the Champions League game. And I groaned as soon as I hit play and actually kind of turned it off because I just didn't want to deal with it. So, yeah, that's where I'm with that. Well, it's hard. Like, it's already hard to watch the games during the week for me. So I was watching um, I was watching it in between stuff. And so I kind of just had to do a double take. I was like, what just what just happened? <laughs> like, how, did, <laughs> how did we end up here? Um, yeah, so. We'll we'll get into all that, but we we should we should celebrate the the better of the two games before we we get get into that stuff. We'll uh, yeah, because it it wasn't it wasn't the worst week ever. We'll say we'll no. say that. Um, let's talk about beer. I'd, yeah, I mean, I I think you're going to have the more exciting one. Okay. I uh, I just got back from the Sounders game. Didn't really have time to go to the store, so I just had what was in my fridge, which is. Good old Rainier, my favorite go-to non-thinking beer. There you so, go. Sorry for the uh, the boring beer. I just no. haven't had time to really go to the store. It's, store. The Sounders game was fun. So I still appreciate that we have a fairly solid regional beer. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I would reach for that more often than not. I'm surprised I didn't drink more of it in college. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, I was in college a very heavy PBR drinker. Yeah. But that was because I was in Soak or NorCal in college, and there wasn't any real good regional beer. I mean, he had Sierra Nevada, but that wasn't the cheap beer. No, that was pricier. That was yeah. You wouldn't, you wouldn't, you'd be splurging. You want you want quantity over quality. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I mean, as soon as I moved up here, I definitely got on the Rainier slash Ollie train. The, I, I, mm. 
Although I do prefer Rainier to Aldi. That might be controversial, but. Yeah, it's just, it's kind of easier to find too. So I think I gravitate towards Rainier better. What about you? Your beer looks fancy. (laughs) My beer's tall. It's a big boy. It's a, it's a Fremont Hustle. Ooh. Ooh. I really like the Anything that has a skull on it. (laughs) I know. It it drew my attention. Actually, it was one of the few beers that I hadn't had. I you know I ended up at Safeway. I sh- I really wanted to go to PCC, but traffic directed me elsewhere. So <laughs> I ended up at Safeway, locking my keys in the car. Uh, so <laughs> I was wandering around the parking lot with a a bag of beer, a single beer. Um, yeah, it was it, it's um. It's definitely. A, I'm. I'm judging it by the cover. I'm. I think I'm gonna like it. It's a. It's a double IPA yeah. at at nine uh, percent. So. Yeah, I mean that definitely feels in your wheelhouse. House. Hmm. Hmm. That's different. What, what What are you getting out of? It? Is it multi hoppy? Uh, it it's going? not. It's got a strong hop aftertaste but it doesn't hit you in the face it's not super in the piney flavor i would put it more slightly fruitier but not Mm -hmm. in the hazy range um it's pretty mellow it's not doesn't have a lot of bite to it so it's good it's different but it feels a little heavy so it's it's a good like fall winter beer i wouldn't want to reach for this uh in the summer necessarily yeah i mean it coming at nine point or nine percent i would uh, assume it would be a little heavy <laughs> yeah no it's just it's it's heavy it's not a light drink uh light drinking beer for sure like some uh, some um i feel like some double ipas uh what did i have uh, oh like the uh bottom cutter it, it's like mm. it's so drinkable it it's it gets you in trouble this like yeah. this this is a heavy enough double IPA where it's like okay, I can't drink it too fast, so that'll help pace <laughs> me a little bit. It's a it's a sipper and not a uh, not a chugger. Yeah, I do like a good chugger though. <laughs> Rainier. Yep, there you go. Um, yeah, drinking beer when I'm thirsty. That's what that's what usually gets me. <laughs> I have to like be hydrated before I start on beer, or else I, I'm just I just down it. I'm like, what did I just do to myself? <laughs> okay we've got beers timbit what do you got well i was re-watching the uh bournemouth game and you know we'll get to it but you had two penalties in that in that mm-hmm. game the odegaard and the the havertz and i was really watching their uh their approach to the penalty not in their like mastermind of it but literally how they run up to the penalty mm-hmm and they, I, th- I think it's interesting. It's kind of the modern way to do it now where you start having little stutter steps and kind of things. So I was wondering what you would do when you were, if you were taking a penalty to t- throw the goalie off as you ran up to take a penalty. I think I'd go very elaborate run up, like, you know, just high knees real fast. <laughs> just it, it's, it's all about getting in their head, right? So yeah. you got, you got to go exaggerated and then a very understated roll it roll it to the side sort of kick like i'm not going for power i'm going for finesse i'm looking to em- em- embarrassment a little bit <laughs> would you go down the middle then 
You know, if I'm feeling saucy, I think I would go down the middle. I think I, I think that adds a little extra cherry on top of the the embarrassment. So, yeah. So like high knees, taking like a centimeter each step, like uh-huh. mesmerize the keeper with a how high your knees are going, almost touching your chest yeah. each time. Yeah, exactly. The speed and effort I'm putting into the run in is just distracting. <laughs> and then straight down the middle. Yep. I I love. I love uh, just making keepers feel bad. So that's what I, that's what I'm there to do is not, not just do it, but do it in the most embarrassing way possible. I mean, do you think it's a little unfair that keepers have been dialed back in their shenanigans that they can do these days? You know, they've been really pulled back. I, I mean, a good friend of Arsenal, Emery or Emmy uh, Martinez, he, uh, he definitely ruined it for a lot of keepers this last world cup. Uh but the, it seems like the penalty takers these days can kind of do almost anything as long as they're marginally moving forward. Do you think the, the, the kind of balance has gone the other way as far as that goes? Um, I don't know. I think it's one of those opportunities for flair and style. And I feel mm-hmm. like people like that part of the game. They like that part of most sports. Like if you can throw in a, behind the back pass and nutmeg, you know, or, you know, depending on the sport, talking multiple sports here, but you know, it, it, the little bits of flair you can add that may add to your personality. I feel like that's, a, that's an important aspect of the game. Like I just like to see what people come up with. Each player is a little bit different. It's interesting to see it. Um, I, I think it's exciting and penalties are kind of stupid anyway. So it adds a little, <laughs> it's a, it adds a little bit of, uh, excitement to something that's otherwise, uh, um, maybe not my favorite part of, of the sport. It's, it, it feels like it need it needs a little something extra sometimes. See, I'm kind of with you, but I, I like the way it's, I would, I feel about it is that they should go back to let the keepers basically do anything as long as they're still on the line when the ball is kicked, you know, I, I, I like- don't, <clears throat> yeah, I don't necessarily want to see the keepers diminished. I, I miss that aspect of it too, but not that I love it. Um, cause I feel like <clears throat> most of the kickers aren't like getting into the goalkeeper's face. So like, I feel like that it's a different set of tactics, like the, the, the kind of getting in your head and trying to psych people out. I don't really get as much joy out of that. But I mean, that's kind of what those weird run-ups are like, you know, like you were saying your ideal run-up. And that kind of like stutter step, it is getting in the uh, the the keeper's head. You know, it's not a a clean, normal approach. Yeah, but I'm just thinking about like kind of the intimidation tactics and the things, just like the things that uh, Emmy Martinez would try to pull, like this, this yeah. stuff, like it just kind of jawing at people. I don't necessarily think that's a great part of the game. So it's like in in giving an opportunity for that where it's like, oh, this is fine for right now. You just go ahead and do what you need to do. I just feel that I think that's kind of weird because normally they're trying to control that sort of thing. So I, I understand why it's uh, maybe the directness of it has made it more of a, a target than um, just the run-ups. You know, the run-ups aren't as like this direct kind of tension conflict thing that most of the time the referees are trying to diffuse. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I I, I liked uh, when keepers could do cartwheels and do weird <laughs> monkey dances on the line. Just I don't know anything to to gain a little bit of the edge on the kick, kicker because right now it's so in favor of the kicker now, and especially with those types of run ups that they do. As a keeper, you're you're 
basically SOL for most of the time. Yeah. I, I think, A, people want to see more goals and they want to see retribution usually for the things that got them there. And so um, getting a penalty kick awarded and then scoring it, I feel like there's an extra level of um, victory because it, it, it usually comes at the end of a, a nasty foul or something in the box. Um, but then like if you're, if you're looking to make the game as exciting as possible, I think like the penalty thing, I, I, I can see them kind of trying to make sure that there's more opportunities for that over time. I think there's gotta be something in it that they're, um, it, people, people just like that level of tension and excitement in the middle of a game, I think. It's in, it's it, but I hate I hate it at the end of games. It's the worst. Yeah, and you know, as an RSL fan, any penalty against us, I want every <laughs> every advantage for us. So, yeah, absolutely. It's we, I, we've seen so many go against us and so many not called. It's nice to get two in a game for sure. Um. Okay, let's let's talk about the. Uh, the Bournemouth game here. Yeah, the, the, the fun part of the uh, the show. Yeah. And this is um a team that I, I don't I don't know that we were too concerned concerned about, but I wasn't exactly expecting a this much of a, a drubbing. Yeah, I mean it really did uh, you know, just to give an overview, did feel like a start to finish comprehensive win. There wasn't really much time where I was worried. It felt like we had a, the run of the play for a majority of the game. There were a couple, you know, uh, chances-ish that if they finished could have made it more interesting, I guess. But, mm-hmm. you know, even with uh, two penalties, they were both stone-cold penalties and uh, a, a sign of the desperation at which they were defending and that Arsenal was cutting through them. So, yeah, I mean, <laughs> it was... Uh, you know, comprehensive, I guess, would be the uh, the word I use to describe this win. Yeah, I think it's uh, it was it was nice to to feel like they were getting closer to what we've expected them to be like through the season, especially with the way that the goals were kind of flowing. I think that we haven't really seen um, we haven't really seen the goal scoring to the level I was expecting with the pieces that we've added. It's been a little bit uh, stop and start sometimes, um, but this in this game, it, it, it everything was just clicking and and uh, getting getting a couple penalties never hurts. Yeah, I mean, what do you th- what do you think of uh, the lineup to to start the game? Um, I'm tr- I don't okay. I don't want to keep going back over the. Uh, <laughs> The goalkeeper thing. So Reyes not wasn't too surprising to see him get in get in another game. Um, at this point, at this, we know who's the number one keeper. So yeah, so that that part is not a talking point. At, um, but yeah, getting you know it is pretty close to what I would expect. But I still don't love Jesus on the wing. 
Um, yeah, Nkedia. Still not, still not my favorite choice, but it's, uh, it is what it is with the people that we have available at the moment. Yeah. I mean, are you, are you surprised that, uh, Havritz is still getting, uh, getting some starts? I, I go back and forth on it. The, I'm not, I'm not surprised. I think he is still a project in progress and to pull the rug out and say, you're not, you're not starting because you're, I I think the assumption would be if he's got, if he got benched, it's because he's not doing what he's supposed to do. But, um, I think he's doing enough to keep getting in there, but not, not enough to do it forever. Like, I just feel like there has to be a point where uh, Arteta says, okay, I have to make this call for the team. But I get, I get the long, the long play of if we ride this out, there's, there's potential here. I just, I I don't know how long we do it. I've, I, in, in non Arsenal sources that I've been reading and listening to, it's really interesting how they are discussing it. And what they have been saying is that it's, it's not like, Havertz has been garbage as far as everything but scoring goals. He's been solidly a midfielder. He's making his passes. He's doing enough. He's not a a liability. Right. Other than the fact that he can't uh, seem to convert and, and score. And so there, there, there's a lot of, there's among non Arsenal fans, there's a lot of much more willingness, I think, to give him time than we, us impatient Arsenal fans would give him. Yeah, I I think if if Vieira was more consistent, he may have supplanted Havertz at this point, but he is hit and miss still. And so I think the ceiling for Havertz and and um Vieira is is different in Arteta's mind as far as what uh Havertz a, a Havertz at his peak brings something very different from a Vera at his peak. So if you can get Havertz working, you unlock a lot of options tactically because of his height, because of his frame. If you can get him clicking, it offers just something completely different from what else we have in the team. So I think at the price that we paid for him, it also it just makes sense to not give up too easily. And I think because he's seems fairly uh, uh, gun shy to, to pull him is only going to cause you to take a step backwards with him. So it's just, it is kind of the, the thing we have to do, not the thing anybody wants to do. It's just like, I, I, it would be, um, it'd be sad to see him just go to the bench. Cause I don't think he comes back from that. Yeah. The, the the other thing on the starting lineup that I'm I, I want to throw out there and it, it's almost more relevant for the uh, the the lens game, but uh, is is a relative question to ask here is are we starting Sokka too much? You know he's been playing every single game for us for two seasons, three seasons now. Yeah, and you worry about the uh, the amount of tread left on his tires, as it were, just not getting any breaks. And is this a game? the Bournemouth game where you can almost justify arresting him. Right. Um, 
Let's see, when did he get subbed off in this game? I don't even see if I can find the timeline here. But, you know, it's it's tough because, as Arteta said, the best players do it week in, week out. But it's hard when he keeps getting banged up every game to really justify playing him as as long or as often as as we tend to. Um he he was struggling coming off in this game, which is why we we had Vieira come in on that side. Um, came in in the seventy uh, sixth minute. Yeah, seventy six came off. Seventy six minutes of getting banged up. You know, he he. Uh, teams tend to play him pretty tough. They have to. I mean, he's really hard to stop. So you got to throw some weight around, and you got to try to <laughs> disrupt his flow as much as possible. We've seen it. Uh, many years and sometimes he gets protected from the refs and sometimes he doesn't. I think it's gotten better over time for a while there. He was really getting kicked around and refs were letting a lot go, but um, I think it's been a little bit better now, but it doesn't stop the fouls from happening. Um, so he's, it's not only the fatigue factor, it's just the wear and tear. And he, t- he's just, even for his age has taken a lot of, a lot of hits and he just keeps on coming back. And it, it speaks to his character that he, he doesn't seem deterred or slowed down by any of that. I think he just seems to play through a lot of, uh, nicks and cuts and, and, uh, it's, it, it never seems to stop him. I mean, even when he has gone down briefly in games, he, he seems to find a way to bounce back. Um, and doesn't get pulled off very often, even if, for all the fouls that he does get. Uh, but it's it's tough when you're looking at it with the bench and and there's not the quality there to really come in and, and be even close. Like it's it, it was apparent in the Lens game that he was uh, a big factor in in any of the momentum that we had. He's he's just he's the nucleus of of. of a lot of our goal scoring opportunities, whether he's creating assists or goals, he's he's usually starting or finishing something, and that's that's a big piece to take out. Um, but you have to do it once in a while. I mean, I think at this, uh, you could have done it much sooner. You could have pulled him much sooner and still had him be part of this game. Um, when your when your opponent has not scored, I think you you could even take him off after. 50 or 60 minutes and feel pretty comfortable with that just to give them some rest as you go into a champions league game a few days later. Yeah. And then a city game, not too many days after that as well. So right. there's, you know, some important games coming up. It does feel like a bit of a over reliance. Um, if he's staying in games just to be in there, I just don't know that that was the best move considering how often he's been, hitting the ground and having to get, get looked at or taken out of games in this case. And, um, when you see that over and over again, and then it finally catches up, I don't think anybody's too, too surprised by, by what happened. Um, it's, 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 a it's a tough, it's a tough one. I mean, Arteta, Arteta's not wrong about how often and players have to go at this level, but, uh, I think you got to you got to take the rest where you can and if you're not giving him the opportunity you're hurting yourself in the long run and it it's going to catch up on a lot of these guys. You can't you can't play the you can't play the first 11 
every single game. It's just not it, it. It caught up to us last year. It will catch up to us this year. We're already kind of hitting a lot of injuries pretty early on in the season. So I I wouldn't want to see, um, you know, Declan Rice has been coming out of games or came out of game with back issues. It, it's these little things you hope don't derail the whole season by just pushing through. Yeah. I mean, and I know Arteta said that and a lot of people are kind of taking it as gospel, but I don't know if it's necessarily true that you can expect players to play three games in a week for like 92 weeks straight. You know, that's what, you know, Sokka has been doing that. Like, I think you can, for the most part, uh, play three games in a week, but there, there, there is a point where like you need to give these players rest, especially thinking about the way the World Cup affected players and all the international games that the player like Sokka is playing. And you know, they're not getting the same breaks they were even five years ago or three years ago, even. Yeah, it's it's crazy how much they've squeezed in and continue to try to push for adding more, more and more. Uh, to the World Cup, and it's it's not it's not sustainable unless you can drastically uh, increase the player pool, and that's that. Even if you have more players on the bench, even if you have uh, a deeper group to tap into, that you can't keep all those players happy. So it, it's it's a real challenge to uh, balance a deep team, and uh, if you can walk that tightrope and. You know, you can see you can see it with the goalkeeping situation. That's it's a real extra challenge to keep quality players happy. Um, but when you're winning, when you're doing a lot of uh, when you're successful, you're competing in a lot of tournaments and, and staying in them for a long time. You, it, I, It's possible. I mean, City has done it and it, it, a lot of it is is the culture of winning and just understanding that you're going to get your moments. And uh, if if Arteta doesn't rotate that there's no case to be made for a deep, a deep squad, because if, if players aren't getting opportunities, then they're not, they're not going to come. So he's got to find that balance. It's, it's a tough one for any coach, but I think he's um, only this season. Have we really had the depth where he's had these challenges? I mean, we've, it's been pretty straightforward and especially with the injuries and things that we've had, he hasn't had a lot of, room to tinker in the last couple seasons. Yeah. I mean, but that, that, that's being said, uh, what'd you think? What'd you think of the game overall? Yeah, it was solid. I mean, like I, I, I never felt bothered by anything Bournemouth was trying <laughs> to do. What, did, what were, what were your thoughts on the, um, well, what, what, what was your thought on the the first goal? Let's let's start there. Uh, I thought it was great. I mean, it was a great. Uh, it was a pretty good shot from Jesus to begin with mm-hmm. that it almost went in. And you know, anytime the ball kind of lands in that area where Sokka normally is, I'm not surprised to see him put it away. That just seems to be his bread and butter. That kind of far right side, a little bit tight angle, a little bit not centered. You just expect him to be there and put it in a way. And it was a nice little header. I thought it was, you know, a well-worked goal and definitely not against the run of play. Yeah. I think he, he was even surprised to to score one with his head. It's pretty rare for him to be in those positions <laughs> where he can do that. So um, you, you're usually expecting, expecting him to score at the ball at his feet, but I, I will take it any way he can, he can, 
provide that. Yeah, I mean, he just it's a a, a monument to his positioning that, it, you know, wherever he is on there, he's going to be in a position, whether it's his head or his foot, that he's going to put that away, you know? Yeah, and, and definitely credit credit to Jesus to get even get that ball close to goal. Uh, you know, he's kind of drifting out of bounds and tries to hit it across the face of goal and, uh, yeah, just almost catches that top corner. That would have been a pretty sweet uh, <laughs> sweet goal on its own, but it's it's nice that it bounced, bounced into Sokka's path pretty easily there. Yeah, I mean... I, I, throughout the game, I was not impressed with Bournemouth's defending, and they they probably could have done a little bit more as far as uh, of controlling the rebound and uh, making sure Sokka's not there. But I mean, I'm yeah. not gonna complain too much about that. No. Uh, speaking of poor defending, I mean, two two penalties in this match. Uh, the first one coming uh, late into the uh, first half here, and it is pretty pretty clear. Uh, cut and dry penalty on uh, for Enkedia there. It looks like when I try and make a tackle in a FIFA or <laughs> FC, I guess you call it now. No, it was a, it was, it was pretty clear and horrible. Not horrible, but it was a pretty clear and obvious uh, penalty. I don't think I, I found it funny that the player was arguing about it when I might. It was just you know no real effort to to play the ball. He just kind of took him out. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. It's pretty pretty uh, clear from every angle here. I, I just I think he he try. I mean, he tries to lunge towards the ball, but he was nowhere near it. So it's it, there's not much you can argue about there. And this was uh, I think every time there's a penalty, though, I think even with goals, it's like you kind of just are waiting for that VAR check to confirm things. So I, I yeah. can't even get too excited when there is a penalty. <laughs> I'm always just like waiting for the other, the other shoe to drop there. No, I, I mean, I don't celebrate the penalty until I see the player get into the kicking position and all the other players are there, you know, like outside the box. Yeah. Because until then it's, 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 it's not a sure deal. <laughs> no. And, and I hate that that is, always in the back of my mind now it's it's a, an unfortunate side effect of this meddling uh var that seems to disrupt the fun <laughs> i mean hey we don't have to talk about it but there was some more interesting things with vr around the league so yeah yeah they're they're having a tough week <laughs> they're having a tough year it's it's not not been improving for a while but well, we'll take this it, it, pretty straightforward penalty. No, no real reason to check this one. And uh, Odegaard gets the call for the, for taking this one. I, I I like his run up, his his approach. He <laughs> the quick the quick steps. I I I think I would model model my performance on his. I would just be <laughs> way more elaborate. <laughs> yeah, it was a perfectly strike. I do like the fact that we're kind of. Uh spreading the penalty love around so there isn't as much it feels like it takes the pressure off the penalty kickers you know in a certain way where if if a player if you have, if you rely on one player to always take the penalties you know it it just in my mind just adds more pressure because you know you give them space where if they miss one they don't have to take immediately the next one if they don't want to you know yeah, I mean, I know they pra- they all practice this, but it is. Uh, I think it it's good for the team in in the sense that you might have to take 
uh, you might have to go to penalties at some point. And uh, if you have kind of spread that around throughout the season, then the pressure's the pressure's off for several more players who have done this in a game type, a game situation versus what you would find on the practice field. So I, I think mm-hmm. I think that's helpful in in the overall development of the team too. Yeah, and then you know, much like the uh, first penalty, you got a second penalty that I felt was pretty uh, pretty stone cold as well. That was a uh, Inkedia making a run and a uh, you know a sloppy slide tackle in the box. Yeah, I mean, I like I wasn't wasn't super excited about Nkedia uh, and his in you know starting in the front with Jesus on the side, but you can't argue with and get you know what he uh, brings to the game. But I'm trying to think, was it? Oh, it was a uh, Odegaard, uh, a foul on Odegaard on the second one, right? Oh, was it the first one was Nkedia and the first, second one? Yeah, was first one's Nkedia. Okay, sorry. Uh, yeah, this one, um, yeah, there was, <laughs> it's, it's pretty bad. This one on Odegaard. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it, it, they don't, they don't, didn't really try too hard to, um, make the ref make any tough calls, you know, it's, yeah. it's, uh, as easy as it comes. But the, the best part about this is, is the ball gets handed over to, to Havertz. And he's, I, I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know if this guy had any penalty record. I was just hope, yeah. hopeful that he, he was able to step up and not get into his head too much. Cause that was my only concern was if he's, if he's in a bad headspace, is he going to be able to do it? But it's, it's maybe his, um, his body language doesn't actually give way to how he's really feeling. I think it's, um, like you said, he's, he's, performing competently he's just not excelling and i think the bar is pretty high as far as what we expected from the player that's replacing shaka and somebody who has a little bit of a reputation coming into the team as somebody who didn't really live up to the hype at chelsea either and so if it's uh, a continuation of that. I, I feel like he's, you would expect him to kind of be worn down and maybe mm-hmm. have a, um, a, a struggle with the, the pressure of a penalty, but I think he, he took that easily. It was nice to see him get, get onto the score sheet and a good gesture to get the, the team rallying behind him and like the fans rallying behind him. I think that's, that's a huge, huge piece to, just hear the crowd get get behind you and uh hopefully that pays off in the long run to kind of get it get some of the pressure off for that first goal yeah i mean i think that's the um, the biggest takeaway is that you could see how much it meant not just to Havertz but to his teammates you know they were all mobbing him slapping him on the head really they almost forced him to go celebrate in front of the uh, arsenal fans and the way the arsenal fans reacted which was you know not even ironic just really having a good time enjoying him score he already has a song which is now my favorite arsenal song it's been stuck on my head for the last like you know since he scored i the, uh, i don't know if i i heard the song it's a. Uh, it's based on Shakira, one of my favorite, the uh, Waka Waka song, and it's you know Waka Waka Ao, uh. 60, 60 million pounds down the drain, Kai Havertz scores again. <laughs> it's 
it's it's it definitely gets stuck in your head. I I like that. I do. And this that was the uh, that was the World Cup song, right? Yeah, yeah. The uh, this is Africa. Okay. Or it's it's time for Africa. Sorry. <laughs> love love the the synergy. I lo- I love the <laughs> any any time World Cup has a a, a pop song, I think it's really funny. yeah. Uh, I mean, I do not get me going started on World Cup songs. I have a whole Spotify playlist of World Cup songs that I listen to, That's especially uh, Sweden puts out one every World Cup when they qualify for World Cups. <laughs> uh, that's pretty, uh, pretty fantastic. All of them. I love it. Um, so, okay. Two, two penalties down. And the, at this point where uh, I'm trying to remember when that second penalty was about 70. Oh, uh, no, earlier than that. 50, yeah. 53rd minute. Give or take. Uh, yeah. So really getting, getting three goals on the scoreboard early, early on in the game made it pretty easy to just kind of keep peppering shots at him the rest of the game. Yeah. I mean, I th- it was the commentator saying that uh, you could tell that after that third goal, Bournemouth was just really just wanting to get back to the uh, dressing room. They weren't trying to trying to make it back. They were just they're they're over it, and you could kind of tell for the rest of the game. Yeah, and it was. Um, I think that's that's when a lot of the the subs started get coming in, and um, you know Zinchenko comes out. We get uh, Nelson some minutes. Uh, the the soccer pole at seventy sixth, and uh, the one I always like to see is Emil Smith Rowe. Mm-hmm. Uh, he so many times late recently, he's just been so close to scoring. It's driving would, me crazy, and I I know it's driving him crazy. Yeah, that 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 miss. Oh gosh, must have been in the eightieth minute? Question mark. Yeah, somewhere in there. Uh. It was just, it was inches off and oh, I think the entire Arsenal fandom wanted that to go in for his sake more than anything else. But, you know, he, he's not far off and he does, he still, it's showing why he's coming off the bench as opposed to starting those types of misses, unfortunately. I just, he brings, like, he's been bringing the energy. He's been one of the brighter players off the bench, I think, um, and I, I see him trying to affect games and get into good positions. And the fact that he can uh, get this shot off, I mean, speaks to where he pops up and what he can do. But yeah, the inch inches wide, he's he's one of those players. I think if he can get one of these, he's he's going to catch fire again, because I think he's he's got to be pretty hungry at this point. It's been about a year since he scored last in the Premier League, and that's that's got to be eaten away at him, uh, especially with coming back from injury. It's getting that first goal back, I think, would do wonders for him as far as his his effectiveness effectiveness off the bench. And the whole, like, like you said, all, everybody in in Arsenal land is behind him. He's he's. I think it's just a a matter of time, but I think everybody's waiting for that moment when he he declares that he's returned because he's you're just catching little glimpses of what he can do but i think it's a goal away from really taking off for him yeah i mean and 
it, 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 it does feel like it's just one little spark and it'll ignite back to kind of get him back on track. It's in some ways almost similar to the uh, Havertz mm. situation where it's just a little bit of confidence, maybe a little bit more playing time and that right moment when he can just slot it home yeah. and get that get that goal scoring feeling again. Yeah, I, I'm hopeful. It's it's got it's got to happen. Um, one one person, one more person scored in this game, and it's not one that we hear <laughs> called very often on the um, uh, on the goal sheet. But he is uh, do do for one every once in a while. Ben White got himself yeah. into position. I loved it because he's on my fantasy team, so he just bagged me a bunch of points for that fourth fourth nice. goal. It was it was it was great. Yeah, pretty, uh, pretty much where you would expect Ben White to be effective is on set pieces, and hit. it's a pretty clean hit. Uh, yeah, I mean, again, uh, Bournemouth didn't uh, cover themselves in glory with a uh, letting him kind of get that uh, that free header. Yeah, I was surprised he was uh, as open as he was where he was. They did, they were just kind of jumping around him yeah. instead of getting in front of him. So it was. Uh, pretty pretty easy for him and i the kind of uh header you see go in once in a while kind of the looping header instead of the the, the one with power but got to got to love a goal for Ben White keep him mm-hmm. keep him satisfied <laughs> yep and you know it just really capped off i i think 4-0 is a very fair reflection of what the game felt like as well i think it was uh capped off of just a i mean dominating performance i might be a little hyperbolic but i th- i think it was a pretty strong performance from arsenal absolutely um unfortunately that's where the good times end i'm not just kidding <laughs> can we just keep on talking about this game for the rest of the podcast uh, just kind of... we'll just go back through we'll, we'll go into more detail on each goal <laughs> um, no we got we got to do this we got to talk about arsenal's uh faults as much as their victories this one this one stings a little bit i think for us because we underestimated this this opponent a little bit and and maybe you could say the same for for the team as well i think it it's a little bit of that a little bit of going away from home where they haven't been super successful in europe um it's been a mixed bag in in europa league so i i wasn't expecting them to uh suddenly be amazing on the road uh but i i think i thought this game would be a little bit easier and it, it definitely was more physical and more challenging than I think uh, we as fans and, and the team were ready for. I mean, really it started off nice, Yeah, <laughs> you know, when, uh, when Jay-Z scores, uh, you know, Jay-Z started in the center, which is where we both kind of prefer him to be. And I think in an ideal world, that's where he, he, he would be st- normally starting. It was a well-taken nice start to the game i i really thought once that goal went in we were just going to kind of cruise from there yeah <laughs> and then unfortunately i i mean that first goal from lens it's it it was just a really nice goal i was watching the game with a friend of the show jordan and we were we were both watching the game together and you know both of us were just like there's not much you could do about that goal once they were in the box you know he it was just it was a well taken goal swerving away from uh, the keeper, I, yeah, yeah. It, it's, uh, I, I had to, I had to give him 
respect for that goal. That was it was just a solid goal. Uh, it the, the unfortunate part is that it does come from uh, uh, unforced error from Raya. You know, it not oh yeah, not ideal to have your keeper kind of turn it over midfield that way. Well, especially because that's where he's supposed to kind of have a uh, leg up on Ramsdale. Yeah. Is that uh, he's supposed to be the one that's able to distribute better and not give up those types of uh, of uh, errors. Yeah, I think there's... The other part... I think the other side to that, though, is that he is, he is trying to do something that is different from what Ramsdale does. And he he's generally very good at as far as his volume of of short passes he's pretty accurate and and more like maybe 20 to 30% more accurate with his his short passing than Ramsdale is and that's i mean we're talking about a small sample size but a lot of times under pressure Ramsdale's more willing to go long and we're i think especially in this situation away from home you're better off trying to control the, the the ball as much as possible. If you can control the the tempo and control the um just just have as much uh possession as you can, you're reducing the amount of chances that the other team has to hurt you. And if you're uh, kind of all pushed forward and you're waiting for that build up, this this is the opposite of what you want to be doing because there's so few players back and they just have a couple passes and they're in um granted there was a, a bit of work to be done to get this goal it wasn't like it was a, a given that that turnover was going to turn into a goal they definitely put together some nice pieces there to make it happen but um it, it's you definitely don't want that sort of uh disruption when you're away from home and you have a lead and just let this team back in going into the second half. And it's, it's not, it's not great for the the momentum. We'll say that, but it, it's, I do think in terms of what Raya brings, I still like what he's doing. Uh, I'm not going to say this is the, the door opening for Ramsdale to come back in. I think he's just he's trying to do some different things than what Ramsdale does, and sometimes that's going to work, sometimes it's not. But um, Ramsdale's equally as guilty of doing those those sorts of turnovers in that range. I mean, we've seen him pass it right to players as well, so uh, opposing players, I should say. Uh, so it's all things being equal, I think Raya's contributions as far as the buildup are definitely. Uh, more accurate and more controlled than what Ramsdale brings. So I can see why Arteta would want to continue to put him as his, his number one. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the goal isn't like a deal breaker. Uh, it's just, uh, I don't know. I, I, I just don't trust him yet. I think that's the the mm. biggest thing. I, he seems to be good. He seems to be fine. I just haven't, mentally gotten my head around him yet you know like i with ramsey it was very easy very early on to get attached to him you know all his uh you know his his personality as a player made it really easy to to start rooting for him with his rea i he's just one of those players that doesn't hasn't shown his personality yet 
you know, mm-hmm. he's, he seems to be a little bit more quieter, a little bit more straightforward. I think it's a little bit of, you know, he still probably hasn't found his feet within the team yet. You know, he's probably still. That's got to be tough because you're you're taking the place of a guy who's really popular. I mean, you got yeah. you got to feel pretty self conscious about that uh, when you're trying to join a new team, like as as a new player. That's that's got to be hard. Yeah, exactly. So I mean, I yeah, I, I it's not that I blame him. It's just I I think it's unfortunate. I think we're all kind of putting Rhea under a microscope right now because we're almost just waiting for him to fail so we can get Ramsdale back. That's just kind of what's in the back of my mind when yeah. I look at it in real realistically. Yeah, I think, yeah, yeah. As, as people, I definitely like Ramsdale more, but I just know more about him. So it's it's hard um, to compare the two players in equal footing because one is doing doing different things on the field. The other one's doing different things as like a, a, a player and a teammate. So it's, it's, um, it's apples and oranges, but I think both of them are important. Yeah. Um, and that being said, it was one, one. And at the time I was kind of saying in my head, one, one, all right. A point away from home and champions League against an atmosphere like that. And, and, you know, the atmosphere was really rocking in that place. You could really tell yeah. they were excited to have, the first Champions League game in quite some time. I was kind of making peace with that. And then a uh, second goal for Lens comes in. Yeah. Although I got to give a shout to the almost goal from Tommy Asu. My mm. goodness, if that would have gone in, it would have burned a hole through the back of the net, I think. Oh, yeah. He made such oh. a solid connection with that. And, and, and you know, I guess going before the, the second goal, it, the crazy thing about this game is it didn't feel like Arsenal the game was out of their control. It seemed mm. like Arsenal really had the pace of the game. It was just, a, it was actually a relatively boring game <laughs> in, in in a lot of ways. It just felt very, I don't know, stayed and settled. There wasn't a lot going on on either side of the ball. It was just kind of that type of possession that kind of you keep in the midfield, you lose it, they keep it in the midfield. But Arsenal had, I, I felt like a little bit more run of play. Yeah, I think there was <laughs> there was some interesting things going on every time one of the lens players like kind of tried to play defense. There was <laughs> there was a bit of I mean not to say they were bad at saying tried to play defense was is makes maybe downplays it a bit, but they were definitely leaving something on every every bit of contact, you know. There was mm-hmm. there was a lot of a lot of bumps and extra extra nudges after the ball. Um, had left and I could tell uh, that was that was eventually going to catch up you know like they were they were doing enough to um, wear wear us down even though we were trying to make opportunities I felt like we had they they were somehow able to create space on this goal and it was just on the break really they they were able to get it was like three players on six and they found found space to to score the second goal and I um I felt like at 1-1 it was pretty dangerous you know because they were they were doing enough to kind of disrupt us and I think that we were kind of a turnover away from getting into trouble and that ended up being being true uh because they they were, were fairly ruthless with, with when they had these uh two two on five you know like they in both cases, they were 
maybe outnumbered and still found the right pass and the right shot. So they, they were uh, efficient with their opportunities. Yeah. Which is something uh, maybe Arsenal can learn from them. I, I feel like that, that that's something we, we tend to be a little uh, profligate with our, uh, with our chances and our, our, our shots that it feels like uh, another team can be uh, more ruthless and more, uh, more able to just convert those chances. Yeah, I think that's been uh, part of the issue this season in that it's not that we're not scoring. It's just that we're not being as um, consistent or uh, dangerous, I think is the right word, uh, as we should be with the ball. And in, in the final third there, there's times where we just squander good opportunities and or just can't can't find a way through with that clear shot, and that uh, has come back to bite us in this in this case. I, I think for the opportunities that we had on set pieces, and um, it just the the chances were not taken, and they just didn't look like they were quite up up to the uh, the task, especially especially with the uh, Saka going out. I mean that that's a that's a big blow in and of itself, uh, which is has bigger implications for the short and long term. We don't really know much about what that means. We've seen him go down. We've seen him have issues in games and be ready to start the next next game. So they haven't said one way or the other what the issue is, just that he had, I think, some some sort of discomfort on a back heel, I think is what, Arteta described after the game. Um, so something with the calf, or excuse me, something with the hamstring, something with the thigh is what I've heard. Mm. But those those sorts of things, like a hamstring injury, could be two weeks, could be a month. It, we've seen that really vary, and it could be nothing. Like I, he he's bounced bounced back from stuff so quickly in the past. It could be that he's totally good to go for the the city game but it, it's it, the amount that he has had happen to him it can't it can't just keep bouncing back and and not having that catch up to him at some point yeah and i mean i i mentioned it earlier i think one of these two games might have been a good time to just give him a little bit of a rest mm. coming into the uh you know the city game coming up so that's and 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 it, there are a couple other players I worry about as well. Rice, Saliba, you know, who has had injury problems. Gabriel, like there, there are players that are soaking up quite a few minutes mm-hmm. that we I think need to start thinking about because you know we already. I mean, it makes it more difficult when we already have what is it eleven injuries we have right now or eight? Oh, is it that high? It was. I think coming into the game when we were unsure about uh, Rice and Saka, it was it was it was a fairly high number of injuries. Let me see if I can find. Pull up. I should have looked at this before I. Because, I, uh, huh. so right. there's Martinelli, Party, Timber. Marnelli party timber. Let's see. I guess 
yeah, maybe it's now only like three or four, but including Sokka and Rice in there. Yeah. Rice is I feel like he, he could be on the verge. I don't I don't know what his his status is with his back injury. It, it seemed like he played fine um last couple games, but yeah, it's it's all about the management of these these injuries. Some of it you can play through, some of it you can't. With with Sokka though, it is the persistence of the fouls and all these things. It's like he can come back, but I think he's a foul away from something more significant if you don't let him kind of have some recovery time. Mm-hmm. It, it's unfortunate that you're having to have this Man City game right before uh, a, an international break because I feel like he would be a great candidate for just having one of those <laughs> fake injuries that gives him gives him a rest. Yeah, and uh, but I mean, getting back a little to the uh, to the the lens game, it's it, is it a great result? No, is it not a, the most ideal result? Yeah, but it's it really I don't feel like it's the end of the world. These no. things happen in Champions League. Away games are going to be tough. As I said at the the beginning, you know, every team that's in this competition deserves to be there, and there's no, there really isn't any easy games. You know, even City will have some struggles. Everyone has struggles. I mean, United has not been <laughs> lighting the uh, the uh, Champions League of, on fire. You got to expect it, but it, it does. And you know, the result from the other game with the uh, other two teams in our group drawing it does help us and it it really just comes down to adding just a little bit more pressure on us we have to we have to win our home games and hopefully we can uh you know get another result away to uh to one of these teams but you know it's not gonna be the cakewalk we're maybe expecting or the uh I don't know the uh, the inevitability. It's going to be hard work to get out of this group. Yeah, I if, I still think we're we're going to. It's just a matter of actually stepping up our level a little bit. I think there's a good a good opportunity here to kind of reframe what that it's going to take. And and granted, we have some players that are out, and we would be much better off if we had a Martinelli available and had a Saka for the full game. Uh, But with, with, even with these, these players out, we have been building enough depth to weather some of that. And you can look at this game and say it was an opportunity lost because we weren't that far out of it. It wasn't like we couldn't have come away with a point. And uh, I think when your team is kind of battered and bruised and you don't have your full lineup, you've got to kind of figure out a way to still get points out of that game. And that, that keeps, keeps the conversation going. We were definitely aided by the, the other result. So, um, we could have been in much worse shape had, uh, Sevilla pulled that out. They would be, uh, for, they'd be tied for the top spot and that, that we don't want to be, um, under uh underestimating Sevilla as well they they could definitely be a, a problem for us so it's yeah. um it's it's not not something we can uh sleepwalk our way through this thing it's got to be uh 
our best best game every time and it's tough when you're <laughs> you've got man city on the horizon to kind of be a distraction or maybe to um maybe maybe that that's uh the the type of thing that that arteta is trying to train train this team to overcome is not not getting distracted by that sort of thing or at least feeling like you can go in and and get a result at in champions league and still go to man city and do what you need to do but i don't know if we're quite there yet this is still a young side so it, it wouldn't be surprising with um with that sitting on the weekend that there there may have been uh, a little bit of a distraction there yeah i mean uh jonathan king manilas had a a he 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 poses as not a question, an affirmation. Chill, we're going to win the CL group. Arteta just needed this to fuel the fire for the Man City on the weekend. Yeah, I I go back and forth on that. I could definitely see this being a a a, a good inspiration for that that bounce back. But it, it, I I I'm a believer of, in momentum, so it's hard mm-hmm. to to come off of a, a loss. And, and feel super confident going into Man City. Yeah, and unfortunately, Man City has a little bit of uh, inspiration in the Premier League uh, coming into this game as well, having lost their uh, their most recent Premier League game. Yeah, but it's a huge opportunity for us to make a statement and get, especially given the stand, the closeness in the standings, um, that would give us a two-point two point lead in first place, um, what, potentially. Tottenham is sitting right there as well. So um, it, it it is a different season already from last year where it felt like there was a lot of teams floundering. There's definitely going to be a, a battle in that top top five. And uh, there's going to be teams like Brighton that are going to be nipping at the heels as well. So it's going to it's going to be um, a, a much different animal, I think, than what we faced last year. But I, I take solace in the fact that Man United and Chelsea have their own like mid-table club going on that makes me feel a little uh, a little happy inside. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, you this year you have to expect that you know last year was almost a fluke that there were so many of the uh, you know usual suspects that were not not doing great that this year you you have a couple of the usual suspects not doing great, but the you know. Liverpool sneakily putting together a pretty good start to the season, despite their uh, the result last week. You know you can't underestimate Tottenham, unfortunately. Uh, you know, and and City is City, who is our next opponent. And you know, despite their uh, setback last week, I still think is you know obviously a formidable team. It's nice that they uh, aren't going to have the undefeated season. It uh, mm. it always makes me happy when every team. <laughs> gets their first loss it uh it uh it just makes uh you know that uh undefeated season more special every year it happens so we're, we're still in it we haven't lost yet yes i mean so yeah never never say never <laughs> <laughs> but i mean what are, how, how are you feeling coming into this city game are you confident are you scared where where, where are you following on this I saw a commercial for it the other night on Peacock and I said, I turned to my wife and I said, I'm so nervous. She's like, <laughs> why you're not playing in the game? I'm like, yeah, but I, I care. I care too much. <laughs> I can't not care about this game way more than I should. And like, 
you consider like the Tottenham game and it, it that feels like a different sort of feeling, a, a different nervousness. Like, um, I don't know. You you just you don't you don't want to fuel that fire. You don't want to lose to give them anything to talk about. You want to you want to make sure that Tottenham stays stays in their place. Um, yeah. And and it's especially important since they are near us in the standings. But um, with Man City, there's still this point to prove. So it adds a different layer of things to to our matches with them. And I think every time we play them, the the yardsticks being held up and saying, are you up for this? Are you really going to challenge them? Are you really the team that is going to uh, rise above the history that has built up between these, these two teams? Um, and, and every, every year we've made strides. I think since we bought uh, Jesus and Zinchenko from them last season, um, the, uh, the outlook for Arsenal has definitely changed. And I think that adds a little, uh, a little bit to the narrative that we've, we took them on, we took on their coach or their assistant coach, you know, we've kind of borrowed bits and pieces of their uh, team to mount this challenging uh, side. And so every time, every time we play them, it's, it's going to be, there's going to be some extra bite now and some extra um, storylines that, that make it intriguing and it it just has a, a a different layer to it than than the Tottenham rivalry does. And I, since since Man United is garbage and 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 Chelsea is is right there with them, I I think the the premier rivalry right now is is Arsenal and City. And I, I I'm I'm glad that we're in this new era where we can kind of go toe to toe with them a little bit better. Yeah, I mean, well. The, the rivalry in the games against Tottenham are for pride and the games for uh, against City are for the league, you mm. know? And, yeah. Uh, it, I think, you know, obviously it's not a, you know, you wait, beat City, you're going to win the league, but I think it's a good yardstick. I think, yeah. you know, they're going to be our direct rivals for the league. So if you can take three points off of them, that definitely helps the position. And I think it really does kind of put you in a the right mental state i will say that i think really the the the, the decline of our our title challenge last year was that game against uh city that we lost i think that's when we really lost the title in in i think these winning these games are at least really going there and getting a point or even just you know showing that we're having a good game does a whole lot for the confidence of the team and also how other teams look at Arsenal when they come up to set against them. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's, uh, it would be a big statement. And, and in, like you said, it's in, it's important to the, the mentality that we have and the mentality that ha- that other teams have when they play against us, that we, if you beat Man City, you're, you're, in an elite level and it's like until we can get over that hump and start doing that on a semi-consistent basis you know we've we've done it here and there but not really when it matters so i think we we need to get some wins under our belt when it really means something and, and take take taking points away from them 
early in the season is is a great way to um it's a great launching point for us this year yeah and I, and right now city is in an interesting position they're coming off that loss against wolves their champions league game was they were behind for a good chunk of that game they're showing a little cracks and you know they're going to be playing this game without one of their 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 a couple of their key players uh uh, uh de bruyne who's been out for a while who's a very important part of their team and then uh rodri who's also still serving his suspension will be out so it's a uh, you know if there ever is a good time to play city <laughs> this is a good time to be playing city that i mean that being said they still have a lot of handy tools and you know it's 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 yeah. it's not like it's gonna be a walk in the park but it's a uh it's a good time to pounce on them do you think this is a possible feat without martinelli and Saka in the team uh if i dissect that question and kind of answer it in two for the first part yes i do think without martinelli if Saka is not playing i I am not super sure that it's a uh, a likely possibility. I think you know mm. you mentioned it before that Saka is you know what's been driving the team forward. He's been really the the talisman of the team and really kind of pushing things forward. And his you know the drop off from his position. Well, I may not think it's as you know significant against a team like Bournemouth is going to be a significant loss against a team like uh, City. Mm hmm. Here, here's here's my prediction. This is this is like Arsenal fan fiction right now. Um, I I'm imagining Emile Smith Rowe being the hero, either off the bench or as a surprise starter due to the I, depleted lineup. I would love to see that. I love. I mean, you talked about statement games and a way to get him his confidence back. Let's say a, a Smith Rowe Havertz. Uh, Hey, uh, combo there. What if what if down that left side, that's the winning combo? Like, what if what if somehow, Emil Smith Rowe and Havertz is like this magical combo, and it unlocks both of their best potentials? Ugh, I mean, we're talking magical Christmas land <laughs> at this point. <laughs> it's something I'd love is, to see. This but the I don't plot know if... line to my my soccer anime that I'm writing. <laughs> exactly. I see all your like scribbled notes in the back there. <laughs> um. Yeah, my my hero is is <laughs> I'm I'm just gonna write this this whole fan fiction. I, I like this idea, but really I think it is gonna require some heroics from somebody because we are we are without a proven second line here. Like we've got mm -hmm. some pieces that work in theory, but we haven't seen them all work together without some magic from Martinelli or or Saka to kind of lift some of the load because the rest of the team Odegaard can't do it all himself. Uh mm -hmm. Jesus can't really produce produce everything on his own. So you, we've got to find some other players that can step up and fill those those roles and maybe it's a maybe it's an Enkedia surprise or a Trossard or whatever it may be but somebody's got to come through that that is unexpected a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I, in some ways, I have a little bit more confidence that I have in previous years that I think our backline is solid. Like, I mm -hmm. think our backline is as good as any backline in the world. I'm just going to say that. I and mean, I don't think that's 
Arsenal rose-colored glasses. I think the combination of, of uh, Jesus or Jesus Gabriel and uh, and uh, 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 Saliba with Ben White and Zenchenko, kind of that that back line, I think is as solid as anywhere you'll find. I think having Rice in the midfield will make it a little harder for them to slice through. That was the biggest problem last year when we played them is they just kind of sliced through our midfield. Really, mm. They just walked through our midfield. I think having Rice there is going to make it a little bit harder for them to, 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 to walk through. So it really is who's going to be that person to break through their lines and score that goal. I would love to also see party make a comeback and for, for this game. I don't know how close he hmm. is, but I, if we had a party rice combo, I would feel very confident in our ability to shut down some of those issues in the midfield. But I think we've, we've got to combine some of that defense with some, um, some creativity. And I think, uh, you know, we, we have, we have more pieces. We have a rice, we have a Odegaard, we have, some things that can work. We just have to find the finishing and that's, that's um, to be seen, I guess. And, and, you know, as always, you have the caveat of Holland is a cheat code in soccer and, you know, he's, I, it's going to be really interesting to see how we can hold them off. If we can hold off Holland, that's going to be such a key to the game. Mm -hmm. I think Saliba could put him in his pocket. I think like if you're talking about what uh, a defender that could actually do that, I think that that might be the guy. I would I I would love to see that. I'm uh, I'm hoping for it. I'm not necessarily the uh, the, the most confident about that. Uh, mm-hmm. But you know, I think in a way, this game, if I were preparing it as a coach, if I were Teta, I'd be really concentrating and keeping a solid defensive base and trying to you know break out from that and i think our offensive players you want to put players who are workhorses in there who can possibly score a goal like i i, I really want to see jesus as the the center striker at this point yeah. because he puts so much defensive work in and so much off the ball work in there uh, that you know Enkedia just doesn't do in the same way mm-hmm. jesus up front mm-hmm. meal smith row yeah, Havertz. Mm-hmm. Oh, just smack my mic. Yeah, I'm so excited. <laughs> I'm just I'm um, I'm doing my uh, virtual uh, lineup chart here. I'm smacking my mic in. <laughs> um, but yeah, I there there's there's some opportunities here. I just I hope that they can find the confidence, even with some of their main players out. You know, I think that's. That is the the key to this is when you're when your second or third string guy is in, are they are they able to step up their game when it matters most? You look at some of these um, players, even like a Reese Nelson, who we've seen in fits and starts uh, so far this season, uh, didn't look so great coming off the bench in this last in the Lens game. I think he had a couple balls that he dribbled out of bounds, and I wasn't super happy with his contribution, but. Yeah, you look at you look at the the opportunities that they're given, and who who's going to step up when it really matters? Because when your main players are out, are you going to take the opportunity that's given to you and really make a case for being the guy? And um, for Mill Smith Rowe, for for 
Reese Nelson, for Trissard, for Vieira, for some of these guys that are just kind of hovering on the edges there. The the opportunity that is provided by such a big game with with injuries abounding, you you have to be the the person that steps up and and takes the the game by the horn, so to speak. If if they can be those um, those players that that step up when we need it most, they they get a it, it's it is like cutting in line a little bit. You know, it, you you get a lot of credit for um scoring in big games and and making those those sorts of big impacts when it matters most so i'm hopeful that someone on this team comes through and we're able to to piece things together even when when we don't have our our best players available i mean i'm 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 hopeful that also someone like odegaard who now is kind of betting in can be that player someone there's someone on this team that can step up it's just whether they do Watch, this is all doom and gloom, but we're we're actually going to play all of our starting eleven because Arteta's just been playing his cards <laughs> close to his chest, and everybody's ready to go. Uh, it's all a long game. Martinelli's been fine, just been saving <laughs> him up for this game. And Ramsdale gets a starting keeper. Yeah, it was all all a, a big ploy to just get catch Pep off off his game, <laughs> out pepping Pep. Yeah. You'd never see it coming. We've been planning this for months. All these injuries <laughs> were planned. <laughs> uh, this is this is the best conspiracy ever. This is the only one I can get behind. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm I'm nervous but excited for that game. I think it's going to be uh, it's going to be a really good one, no matter what. Definitely, I'm uh, I'm I'm in the same boat as you. All right, we do have one more question we should get to before we wrap things up. We got uh, Joe Robinson who writes in, uh, not strictly Arsenal related, but what do you think about f- the FIFA decision to host the 2030 World Cup across six countries and three continents, and basically lining up the 2034 World Cup to be held in Saudi Arabia? Uh, so generally, hate both those things. Hate them. <laughs> hate it uh to get more specific i despise the idea of six countries and three continents not to mention the fact that it's going to be an expanded world cup where there's going to be a lot more teams in it Mm. the logistics alone are crazy i mean when you're looking at like spain portugal morocco and calling it like three continents it's almost a little bit of a uh a misnomer in the fact that they're all fairly close together ish and you know you're not worried but that crossing the Atlantic or the, yes, the Atlantic ocean and even crossing, it's going to be one, it's going to be winter in one continent and summer in the other when this happens, which is just mind boggling, not to mention like the logistics of it. And there really is something special about the world cup being in one country, you know, and even, it's a little bit okay when you have regions like, you know, a Spain, Portugal world cup wouldn't be crazy because it's, you know, very closely aligned countries. There's a lot of commonalities, but I I mean, I'd really prefer just to be one country. It's what makes that special. It's how I can keep these world cups apart. You know, it's like, you know, you have the distinct, you know, identities of these world cups. And when you look back at the last euros or the euros that it was when it was Europe wide, 
you lose a lot of that kind of cohesion of the mm. tournament. Mm-hmm. And I really just think when you, you, I mean, I know why FIFA is doing it. It's money. And that's why FIFA does everything. And, you know, you, you expand it, expand the teams. You're trying to get more of everything, but it just makes everything less special. And then, you know, Saudi Arabia, like, I mean, the Middle East has just had one World Cup not too long ago to throw another one in there, not to mention the human rights issues that one has with Saudi Arabia. It's, I mean, there's only one reason to have it in Saudi Arabia. And it's it's money, because, I mean, we, mm-hmm. we, we saw the issues with what happened in Qatar, just, you know, whether changing it to a Winter World Cup, which, again, I hated, uh the the fact that there isn't a huge you know soccer basis there you're gonna have a lot of dead stadiums you're gonna have a lot of games where people don't show up uh not to mention the fact of women and lgbtq people who aren't going to be able to go watch the games uh yeah it's disgusting i don't i i'm really trying to figure out where the limit is where i'll stop watching a world cup Mm. and they're really Hitting, they were very close to the cutter, and I it could be coming pretty soon. Yeah, it and it seems sh- short sighted, um, because I guarantee in twenty thirty four, uh, nobody's going to want to have um, a soccer tournament in the hottest hottest part of the world when we're going to be getting very hot over the next ten years. Mm-hmm. Unless they're planning on building indoor stadiums in the Middle East there. I don't I don't see it being viable. I mean, it was barely viable in winter in in Qatar. So I don't know. I don't know if this makes sense. I don't know if any of this makes sense. It is just about the money. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's horrible. Uh, I mean, I think I know uh, Jonathan King Manilis didn't really watch the World Cup this last one. And I... I'm getting closer and closer and it's, you know, like there was the expansion is also something that just really gets my goat. Cause like it should be special to be playing in the world cup. It shouldn't, you know, be like everyone gets to do it. I mean, that's why you have qualifiers. I think you can make a case for, uh, uh, making it a more equitable, uh, sharing of the qualification. So you don't have 14 teams from Europe. You, you, you spread it out over more continents or things like that. But I, I don't know. 48 teams just seems like a lot of teams to be in a single tournament. Yeah. And I, I already hate how much uh, national team soccer has taken over the rest of the year. I mean, it's mm-hmm. between, between Euros, Cup of Nations, Copa America, all these different uh, domestic tournaments in, in addition to the, the World Cup qualifiers and all these other things. As we were saying before, it's it's constant. And it's a disruption to this, the thing I really like, which is club team soccer. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, I, I, how much are we going to keep biting at that and, and, and taking away from that for the national teams, which nobody really likes. I mean, people like it because it's their country and they can get behind it, but the actual product sucks. Yeah. And especially when you start getting to those lower teams and when you have a 48 team tournament, there's going to be some really garbage teams in that tournament. And it's yeah. just, you, even if you have like a matchup where it's a better team against a lower team, those games end up sucking real bad because either it's a huge blowout or the team just 
shuts up shop and it's just a boring like grind to get a to get a game in. Could you imagine a world where it because you know because there's been all of this talk of needing a super league to support some of these um, big teams in other countries? Um, do you do you ever imagine a world where it switches to national team being the main focus and the club team kind of being secondary? No, the money's not there. And at the end of the day, and it, that's what it used to be, you know, before you and I were watching soccer mm. back in the day, the, uh, the international soccer was the premier version uh, of soccer. And the clubs are just kind of something keeping the players going in between these big tournaments. And it's, it's completely flipped on its head at this point. And I just, especially because, you know, national team players, you are teams, you are playing the paying the players, but it's not like you can get transfers in. And or, I mean, I, there are a couple of examples of players playing for not their countries for other reasons other than their, their nationality and things like that. But it's a, a it's a whole different thing. And I think until you, until the players are getting compensated in the same way they would be for their uh, club team, you're not going to see as much uh, focus on it. Plus the fact that they don't get as much time with their national team as they do their club team just means it's going to be a inferior brand at this point. Yeah. I think that's, it it seems like it just keeps getting bigger and bigger and there's got to be a point where the club teams are going to be, complaining a bit like i i just can't imagine it can keep growing and filling in more and more of the the gaps in the season or you know disrupting more of the the regular season for a lot of these uh club teams and it's i don't know the the idea of the super league has not gone away either that's um always kind of waiting in the background so it'll be interesting to how see how things play out over the next 10 years um, what that will even look like uh, by the time we get to the uh, um, Saudi Arabian hosted World Cup. Well, I also think it uh, the players themselves are going to start being less and less likely to play all these national team games. You know, the uh, you you're already kind of seeing where players tend to be a little bit more loyal to their club team, who's paying them millions of dollars as opposed to their their national team, and you might start seeing especially if you see tons more games, you might see players kind of skipping out on these uh, national team games more and more. Yeah. Like the, the top level players are, are sticking to the club games and then you've got like a kind of a lower tier team that, that plays the national team games. Yeah. Uh, we'll see. We'll see how it all, how it all goes. Uh, it, it, we've, we've got a U.S. hosted or split hosted World Cup mm-hmm. coming up. We'll see. We'll see how that plays out. I'm, I am excited about that. But uh, every every one of these things, you have to keep in mind that they're yeah. all, all it is is just a money grab. Yeah, I know. It's a, I'm a sucker. Every time I get excited about it because I can't help myself, and I, I hate it. I hate myself for it. But what are you going to do? It's the World Cup. <laughs> I know. I still. I'm still going to watch probably uh, until. Until they cross some line I haven't determined yet. <laughs> yeah, I said they're getting getting close to it, so. Yeah. All right. Well, we should call it there. Uh, 
if you if you like what you've heard in this episode and you've listened this long, thank you. Uh, please please like and subscribe wherever you're picking this up from. Uh, I, beyond that, if you want to find us and and where we're, our stuff is at, you can check the show notes. And uh, we appreciate appreciate you sticking around. So uh, I think that's all for us this week. So as always, see you at the next gun show. <laughs>